Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Fresh questions tonight about the spending habits of Metro Vancouver board members and how much it's costing you. The board already says it's going to reconsider benefits they awarded themselves. And tonight, the chair is answering critics who question a number of travel expenses and office perks. Now that four Metro Vancouver board members are back from Australia, the chair is saying they were down in Brisbane studying more than just its light rapid rail system. We looked at much more than an LRT system. We looked at affordable housing. We looked at rezoning and growth pressures. Did you know that Brisbane is growing twice as fast as Metro Vancouver? So they even have more pressure on affordable living, on increasing supply of stock. While the four were away, news broke about that pay increase in retirement allowance the board voted themselves a few weeks earlier. After a public backlash, the chair agreed to revisit the vote, but that hasn't stopped one member from calling for resignations. I honestly think, and I'm sure this won't be supported, but I think the chair and the vice chair should step down. I'll put my track record up as the chair of Metro Vancouver against his as a director and the mayor of West Van anytime. But there's another question now being raised about how wisely board money is spent, and it deals with the staff cafeteria on the 29th floor of Metro Tower 3. It is connected directly to the Metro Town shopping mall and its food court, about a 15-minute covered walk away. All large organizations, in fact, you have one here. Uh, TELUS has one. Universities have one. Every high school has a cafeteria. We don't have a food court also there. Okay, fair enough, but you're two minutes away on a SkyTrain to Lougheed Mall that's got a food court. Metro Vancouver says its cafeteria is not subsidized by taxpayers, but does operate on a cost recovery basis, so prices here are a little lower because there isn't a profit involved. This is absolutely outrageous. Many people in the Metro Vancouver and Lower Mainland area work tirelessly at their jobs. They're struggling to make ends meet. It's extremely expensive to live here. And then they turn around and find out that politicians and bureaucrats at Metro Vancouver get access to this exclusive restaurant at the top of the city. Metro Vancouver bought the entire 29-story Metro Tower 3 for $200 million in 2015 and now occupies most of it, leasing the rest to tenants. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Got some breaking details now about a large barn fire in Port Coquitlam. You may have seen on the 5 o'clock news, it broke out at a poultry farm in the 2800 block of Burns Road late this afternoon. Sadly, the building involved was filled with chickens. No word yet on what caused the fire or if any of the chickens were saved. But as you can see, the damage is extensive. Pipeline debate takes on new urgency tonight with federal cabinet members called back for a rare emergency meeting in Ottawa. It's in response to Kinder Morgan suspending all non-essential spending on the Trans Mountain expansion for the time being. Keith Baldry has more on what the Prime Minister said about the project today and the escalating tension between B.C. and Alberta. Build it now! Build it now! Calgarians came out in force today to show support for something the B.C. NDP government adamantly opposes, twinning the Kinder Morgan pipeline. 
tensions between governments over the pipeline are rising to a fevered pitch. As a result of the B.C. government's court challenges and possible future delays, Kinder Morgan has set a deadline of May 31st for differences to be resolved or it will walk away. The question is not uh, whether the pipeline is going to get built. The question is how the pipeline gets built, and we are uh, looking at all options. Today in Ottawa, the Trudeau government held an emergency cabinet meeting where possible economic penalties being levied against B.C. were likely discussed. The government is 100% behind this pipeline. It's important for Canada. It was made in the national interests. We believe that uh, this is important for all regions of the country. We stand behind our decision. And in Victoria, an entire question period was consumed by the pipeline issue. Well, a boardroom in Texas issued a press release and the leader of the opposition has jumped on board to defend the rights of of shareholders in a a multinational company rather than defend the rights of British Columbians. The Premier hides behind the idea that Texas shareholders are driving the agenda. Well, he didn't read the newspaper because 77% of the shareholders are in Canada. As for B.C.'s premier, he just wants everything to be resolved in court, even though that new May 31st deadline may make that impossible. People will disagree in a civilized society, and when they do disagree, access to the courts is what separates us from other jurisdictions. I would prefer that the government of Alberta and the federal government join with us to resolve the jurisdictional question that's before us. Uh, They're choosing another course. Well, they certainly are. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley taking another shot across the bow today. Yeah, as expected, she has introduced legislation uh, in uh, in Alberta, uh, uh, Bill 12, which is called uh, Preserving Canada's Economic Prosperity Act. Sounds interesting, what it's really all about. This will give El- the Alberta government the power to regulate and to limit the amount of oil shipped to B.C. This is going to hit British Columbians probably far more than anything Ottawa is contemplating. Basically, 60% of the petroleum products in, the, in Metro Vancouver come from Edmonton through that Kinder Morgan pipeline, and a lot of it's refined. In, in a refinery in Burnaby. Basically, it means if she falls through with this, and I think she will, gas prices in Metro Vancouver are going to absolutely skyrocket in the weeks ahead, and the, uh, the shortage of gasoline will have a profound effect on prices as well. So this is potentially going to get very, very ugly. We'll have to see what happens. We sure will. All right, thanks for that, Keith. In Humboldt, Saskatchewan tonight, we're learning more about the crash that claimed so many lives, devastating the town and impacting the entire country. In that tragedy, new stories of hope today with one family sharing what they want the world to know about their son who died and another survivor already planning for his own new reality. Here's John Waugh. Looking at the wreckage, Humboldt Bronco Ryan Strasniski wonders how he survived. He does keep looking at the picture of the bus and he runs through in his head where everyone was sitting and he does have survivor remorse. Even though he's currently paralyzed from the chest down, his parents say the 18-year-old isn't interested in self-pity, but determined to be a source of strength. When they told us, Ryan just looked at us and goes, Dad, Olympic sledge hockey, I'm going to get us the gold. As the community continues to grieve the loss of 15 members of their beloved Broncos after the junior hockey team's bus collided with a heavy tractor trailer on Friday. Stories of players like Logan Boulay, who donated his organs to save six other lives, are a light amidst the darkness. We knew he was in really good shape. We knew that his organs would be in good shape, and we knew that someone could benefit from that. For the family of Morgan Gobey, this is the sound of comfort. 
not wearing their hearts on their sleeves, but the heartbeat of a survivor forever tattooed on their arms. It was amazing to, to see that he was still here, and, and uh, uh, I wanted to carry that with me. Adesh Jail Trucking Limited out of Calgary has been suspended indefinitely by the Alberta Transportation Ministry. Standard procedure as it continues to investigate the crash. The company with two vehicles passed inspection earlier this year. He was not injured, like he was injured a little bit, so, but he's at home right now. Tragedy pushing trucker Rick Tompkins to hang up his keys after 22 years. I feel for the driver that was involved in the accident. It's affected me quite a bit as well. Also affecting friends of the Broncos heading back to school. You know, you should live longer than that and everybody deserves to, so it's hard to lose a friend that everybody knew so well and went to school with. The process of dealing with the pain, something educators know cannot be pushed. Some have lost a local hero. Some have lost a classmate, a friend, a neighbor. As the search for answers continues, it's fitting that many are turning to the heart of this tragedy as a way to heal. No better example than the Broncos of what it means to be Humboldt strong. John Hua, Global News. And even Canada's precision flying team is showing support. The Snowbirds tweeting out this photo from the tarmac with hockey sticks balancing on the noses of the planes. The social media campaign, hashtag sticks out for Humboldt, has people around the world showing solidarity and support for all of those affected by the tragedy. An emergency evacuation route has been set up to help a number of Vernon residents leave their home. And this is why a landslide early this morning cutting access to about 300 homes on East Side Road along the northeastern edge of Okanagan Lake. One home sustained damage and Hydra was knocked out to dozens of others. Roughly we're anticipating approximately 50 uh, loads of material that we've got to haul out of here. So, yeah. How, how deep was it covered the road and how wide? Um, it was um, approximately 30 to 40 meters wide and 2 to 3 feet deep. We do expect this type of thing this time of year. It's often a result of uh, snow melt. Um, so, you know, you end up with a lot of surface water and groundwater. It saturates the banks and a lot of times you end up with these, uh, these slides. Hydro crews also working to restore power to about 300 homes. Thankfully, no injuries have been reported. And some scary moments for the winner of the 2016 PNE Prize Home, now located in Naramato. Over the weekend, a mudslide ripped through Lynn Ma's front yard. She happened to be outside at the time, attempting to divert a stream of water, when she says suddenly a wave of debris was coming straight for her. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And that's the first thing that went into my mind. I looked up and I saw a tidal wave of sludge, dirt, water, and I saw trees falling and I knew the side of the hill was coming down. I ran to the retaining wall right to the point where it just starts to go down a little bit and it's a six foot drop and I jumped over the edge and the sludge and stuff was right behind me and it just whooshed. Thankfully, that retaining wall did its job, saving her from injury and preventing any damage to the home. As for the cause, residents believe melting snow saturated the ground, coupled with a development boom, is likely to blame. 
We are getting an update today on Metro Vancouver's major transit projects. Contracts could be going out within months for $7 billion in construction. That includes Surrey Light Rail, the Broadway subway line, and upgrades to the entire SkyTrain system. In the meantime, the head of TransLink says money is also being put into buses. While we're waiting for the major capital, it's going to take until roughly 2025 for the Broadway subway to open, roughly 2024 uh, for the Surrey Light Rail to open. We have to keep pumping, fueling the prime. We have to uh, continue to put out transit service to meet that demand. Speaking to developers, Kevin Desmond says Metro Vancouver is leading North America in transit ridership growth, and we have to keep up with the demand. Vancouver is gearing up for cruise ship season, and today marks the official kickoff. As Jeff Hastings reports, this year is expected to be the busiest in years, and we'll also see the largest ever vessel to tie up in Vancouver. At dawn, a sure sign of spring in Vancouver. The first cruise ship of the season, and the city's population suddenly swells by a few thousand. The spring hasn't hit Thunder Bay yet. No, it's still pretty it cool is. there, and, and uh, lots of snow and lots of ice. Weather-wise, of course, it's raining, like I said. You don't have to shove it. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about slippery uh, sidewalks. After this, the Star Princess is off to Hawaii, the first of 241 cruise vessels to visit Vancouver this year. They'll carry nearly 900,000 people. It's about a 7% growth over last year, and uh, next year we're going to see even uh, larger growth when we're going to see over a million passengers through Vancouver. That is a really, really big boat, but there's an even bigger one coming this summer. Norwegian Bliss. The Norwegian Bliss can carry 4,000 passengers, catering to the go-karting laser tag enthusiast of the high seas. Is it going to fit under the Lionsgate Bridge? It'll fit, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, our, our Marine Operations Department has been working very closely with the BC pilots, and we also have um, uh, sensors that have been installed under the bridge. But there are even bigger cruise ships out there. The possibility of a second cruise ship terminal in Metro Vancouver on the other side of any bridge is being discussed. If we want to be in the business of having cruise ships like this, which are amazing, and also the bigger ships were being built around the world, we need to think about a solution. I'm not an engineer, but it's pretty obvious that we're going to need to have a solution that deals with both pieces of what is a really, really important segment for us. Each of these visits means about $3 million directly into the local economy. Jeff Hastings, Global News. The lineup has been announced for this year's Honda Celebration of Light, and for the first time, all three countries will be incorporating the same theme into their shows. The fireworks competition will feature performances from South Africa on July 28th, Sweden on August 1st, and South Korea on August 4th. The theme will be love. Canada is not participating this year. The event attracts 1.2 million people over the three days and generates more than $170 million in economic activity. This is very important for us at the City of Vancouver. Without these types of events, the reputation of Vancouver would not be what it is. It's an international growing city, the one that uh, provides a great quality of life. is the greenest city in the world, and uh, the fireworks is certainly an addition to making that happen. But first, the executive pastor of a Chilliwack church is facing multiple child pornography charges. 58-year-old Main Street church pastor Johannes John Vermeer has made his first court appearance in relation to four child porn charges, including possession of child pornography and accessing child pornography. His next court appearance is set for April 17th. 
A possible breakthrough tonight in the 30-year-old cold case of a young B.C. couple murdered in Washington state. Sheriffs will hold a news conference about this tomorrow, but Romina Dea has the early details tonight on the groundbreaking DNA technology helping uncover new clues. After three decades of dead ends in the killings of Saanich High School sweethearts, Tanya Van Kylenborg and Jay Cook, Washington State detectives now have a suspect profile. We are going to be releasing sketches, composite sketches, that were developed based on DNA phenotyping. DNA phenotyping is relatively new technology, which can predict genetic traits, including skin, eye and hair color, the shape of a suspect's face and ancestry. It's been used in over 150 cases, the oldest 25 years. It's basically an entirely new way to think about the DNA. Instead of looking at it like a fingerprint, you look at it like a blueprint. It contains all the information for that person. So we can actually generate new information about a person who was definitely at the crime scene because their DNA is there. No arrests have been made in the murders of 18-year-old Van Kylenborg and 20-year-old Cook, the couple en route from Victoria to Seattle in November 1987 when they vanished. Investigators believe they may have picked up a hitchhiker. Several days later, Van Kylenborg's body found in a ditch south of Bellingham. She had been raped and shot in the head. Cook's body found nearby two days later. He had been beaten and strangled. Their vehicle also found in Bellingham. They were both of a nature where they thought the world was good. They trusted everyone. The same suspect's DNA was collected from three different crime scenes decades ago. But when U.S. investigators ran it through their databases, no match. It's very frustrating for us. We have that DNA. We have that profile for the person who committed this crime. We just don't know who it is. Investigators hopeful the public will be able to help identify the suspect once his DNA composite is revealed Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News. The driver and passenger allegedly involved in a hit and run in Surrey last month that seriously injured a woman have been arrested. It happened March 18th in the 2700 block of King George Boulevard. A few days later, police released images from video shot by a witness. A number of tips led police to two suspects who were taken into custody and released on a promise to appear in court. Charges have not been laid. Police credit the media and the public in playing a crucial role in identifying the suspects. Vancouver police launching a new program today, hoping to prevent theft of older vehicles. The VPD is giving away free steering wheel locks to drivers whose cars don't have modern anti-theft technology. Police say making older cars harder to steal can reduce overall crime. Um, typically, we'll see that a, a vehicle will be stolen. We'll see a series of break and enters. Uh, they have been involved in other violent crime as well. And then they get dumped off and then the cycle starts itself again. A deadly Surrey fire is raising questions about another potential complication of legalizing marijuana. The home where two people died yesterday was a licensed home grow op, home grow op I should say. The cause of the fire linked to its equipment. Grace Key reports. Surrey neighbors are just learning about the deadly house fire on 163rd Street. Investigators believe it started from electrical equipment used in a licensed medical marijuana operation. You know, it's a family area. Like, my dad lives right there. It's just, it's insane. 
The fire started at 7 o'clock Monday morning. Two people survived the blaze. Crews rescued two others. One died at the scene, the other in hospital. It's believed heating equipment was being used to dry about 188 plants that were being harvested. Uh, there was no electrical permits and uh, the, the electrical system was basically put together by the occupants. This is an example where everything has gone wrong. Two people have lost their lives. The fire chief says legalization does not automatically put an end to code violations. One recent study in Surrey looked at close to 2,000 marijuana production sites. About 300 were medicinally licensed. The individuals, whether it was licensed uh, a medical grow-up or an illicit grow-up, they all had the very similar uh, violations associated with the safety regulations. They're bypassing power in some cases. They were they were jumpering the electrical panel. The Fire Chiefs Association of BC has written a letter to the Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth regarding federal legislation allowing up to four plants per household. The Chiefs question how that will be enforced, adding Quebec and Manitoba prohibit grow ops in homes. For these Surrey neighbours, the issue has hit close to home. So- someone already died as a result of grow up, right? So you know it's it's something that is really concerning i think as neighbors it is a little bit yeah concerning especially with families it's a really family neighborhood grace key global news dramatic video of a rescue at a new jersey dance studio that went up in flames it shows some of the girls trapped on a balcony desperately screaming for help Frantic bystanders rush in with ladders, but when one of them gives way, several children are forced to drop several meters to the ground. Incredibly, no one was seriously injured. Some tough questions today for Mark Zuckerberg, the head of the world's biggest social media company. The Facebook founder was trying to quell public outrage over lost privacy as he appeared before the U.S. Congress. Tonight, Mark Zuckerberg ditching his signature T-shirt and jeans for a suit and tie and a grilling on Capitol Hill. What happened here was, in effect, willful blindness. It was heedless and reckless. Why should we trust Facebook? We have made a lot of mistakes in running the company. Hundreds lining up to see the 33-year-old billionaire now facing a firestorm for Facebook's role in Russian election meddling and not protecting users' private information. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. One senator demanding to know if Zuckerberg would want his personal information shared, just like what Facebook allowed with its own users. Would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Uh, no. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that may be what this is all about. Your right to privacy. That crossfire coming after revelations, the personal data of as many as 87 million unsuspecting Facebook users was harvested by Cambridge Analytica, a political data firm. After questioning, Zuckerberg revealing Facebook did not notify the Federal Trade Commission even after it discovered it. Did anybody notify the FTC? No, Senator. We'd considered it a a closed case. Zuckerberg also interrogated about Facebook's privacy agreement with users. When you look at terms of service, this is what you get. Do you think the average consumer understands what they're signing up for? 
I don't think that the average person likely reads that whole document. And when asked if Facebook would switch from a free service that shares personal data with advertisers to a paid version that doesn't, Zuckerberg leaving the door open. There will always be a version of Facebook that is free. How do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. He obviously was well uh, versed by by his handlers, but they we're certainly not getting really clear answers to how this happened and then what they can do to prevent it in the future. In a break with tradition, there won't be any politicians, Donald Trump or otherwise, at the upcoming royal wedding between Britain's Prince Harry and his American fiancée, Meghan Markle. Meantime, a graphic novel has been published detailing Harry's privileged upbringing, Markle's previous marriage and the death of Harry's mother, Princess Diana. The book also describes how Harry and Markle met on a blind date in Toronto. The two will marry at Windsor Castle on May 19th. And check out this photo. This is the end result of a two-and-a-half-hour marathon battle at sea involving a retired U.S. Army general and an 877-pound bluefin tuna. It was reeled in off the coast of North Carolina last month. Think it's a record? Far from it. It's more than 600 pounds smaller than the record bluefin tuna caught off Nova Scotia back in 1979. In Health Matters tonight, there could soon be a new way to define Alzheimer's disease. Scientists want to classify Alzheimer's based on biological markers in the brain rather than symptoms like memory loss. They say that will significantly increase the number of people diagnosed with Alzheimer's because biological signs can show up 15 to 20 years before symptoms. The change is aimed at improving research that will find the disease sooner. Some amazing new technology developed by a Canadian company is giving the blind a chance to see. When he was just five years old, William Weeks lost his vision to a rare illness that damaged his retinas. Only able to make out shapes and colors, he's never been able to see the faces of his wife and two sons. But after raising $10,000 for a pair of glasses that use high-definition cameras and tiny monitors, all of that has changed. Do you see it? No. (laughs) And Weeks is also seeing his mother's face for the first time in 33 years. The glasses are made by a Toronto company called eSight. It was 100 years ago today that the ti- 106 years ago today, I should say, that the Titanic began its ill-fated maiden voyage. But what you might not know is that this year is also the 100th anniversary of a BC maritime tragedy that many people have never heard of. It's true, and as Linda Aylesworth reports, a new exhibit in Vancouver hopes to change that. She was the SS Princess Sophia, her job in the early 1900s to connect the people of Alaska with Vancouver and Victoria. So it's hard to imagine being in a blinding snowstorm, all of these strong winds, and then trying to figure out, you know, where they were. Those were the conditions the Sophia, her 367 passengers and crew, found themselves in on October 24, 1918, four hours out of Skagway when they hit Vanderbilt Reef. Her story, part of an exhibition at the Vancouver Maritime Museum. They drove the ship um, high and dry up on the reef and uh, they remained on the reef for the next 40 hours. 
would-be rescue boats brave the storm to help, but lowering the Safaya's lifeboats was risky up there on the wave-battered rocks. The captain's decision was to hold everybody on board the ship uh, rather than risk any of the uh, lives of the passengers. On board, 31-year-old Jack Maskell, heading south to get married, wrote his fiancée a farewell letter and a will. So that information is the only glimpse of what we have of what actually transpired, what happened when it hit the reef. The rescuers left as darkness fell, but were called back when the Sophia shifted from the rocks and began to sink. By this time, uh, a snowstorm had increased in such intensity that they couldn't actually uh, get out of, uh, out of their anchorages. In the morning, they were at last able to return. By that point, all that remained of the Princess Sophia was 40 feet of her forward cargo mast. All 367 aboard perished. And yet today, few have heard of the disaster. The goal of this exhibition? We hope that what people come away with is a better understanding of one of the uh, most significant events that happened uh, on the northwest coast in BC. It was important for people to know, to understand and not forget that these were real people. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Late night talk show host Seth Meyers shared a personal drama with his audience last night. Had to decide, do we go into the lobby or back on the elevator? Uh, those are terrible options <laughs> when what you're looking for is a hospital. After the forecast, why his wife ended up on the floor no, of their no, building's no, lobby, no, surrounded no, by paramedics. Well, he's smiling, so you know it's not so bad. <laughs> and he went to work the next day. So. That's right. All right, uh, let's check in with Christy Gordon now for a look at our weather forecast. What a difference a few hours makes, Christy. That's right. It was nice to see the sunshine at the end of the day. Absolutely spectacular, but it was sure was stormy this morning. I'll show you why we were able to see that sunshine in a second. But the storms continued throughout the day in areas like Bella Bella, 111 kilometer an hour winds up into areas like Prince Rupert. Number of power, power outages, about 3,000 homes without power at this time. You can see the trees just blown over in this area, 100 kilometer an hour winds but look at this off the coast 146 kilometer an hour winds that's like a category one hurricane uh so uh there will be a number of people without power through the evening hours you can see the uh, trees were a bit of a disaster through that region and the crews are still working uh quite careful uh, um uh, they're working very hard trying to get the power back on. Sorry, everyone. That was a mother brain uh, uh, <laughs> emptiness there. Lack of sleep in the last little while. A couple of kids sick. All right. So here's moving on and having a look at our region. The reason why we saw that sunshine is that that cold front just drove in through the east uh, quite quickly. And we were left with beautiful breaks across western sections of the lower mainland and down towards Victoria. Those of you in the Fraser Valley weren't as lucky. And that's typical for this type of a pattern. Now, all areas are expecting... That rain to return on and off tonight and through the day tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a little cooler as well. Highs of about 9 degrees if you're traveling east of Hope. That means snowfall on those mountain passes. Now, for the north coast, conditions will be far less stormy for you tomorrow, but the rain will continue. And we do have a risk of thunderstorms in Bella Coola. Uh, further inland, a bit of a break. So we've got these waves of rain moving on shore one after another this week. And that's why we saw the sunshine today, is we just happened to catch a break in between that. That's what you're going 
going to see in through the interior regions tomorrow. But tomorrow night, the rain returns into your area, and we are going to see that across the south coast throughout the day tomorrow. As I mentioned, high of 9 degrees. Still fairly gusty through the day tomorrow, but no warnings in place. And as you can see, not much of a break in the coming days. On and off rain right through in the weekend, at least over the weekend, we start to warm up a little bit. Thought I'd show you some of the tulips that are out in Chilliwack. Thanks to Linda Brown for that one. Oh, thank you, Christy. Okay, so talk show hosts often share details of their personal lives with their viewers, but the story Seth Meyers told last night was so, so good. And we basically get to the steps of our building. We're in the lobby and we're walking down the steps, and my wife just says, I can't get in the car. I'm going to have the baby right now. The baby is coming. That... Myers telling his audience his wife had given birth to their second child on Sunday in the lobby of their apartment building. So my wife basically decided, decided for us and she went and she lied down in our lobby and we just sort of like uh, created like a semicircle around her. My wife is saying, uh, the baby is coming. The baby is, the baby is out. And I looked at my wife and the only way I can describe how my wife looked was uh, she looked like someone who was hiding a baby in a pair of sweatpants. <laughs> Even he was cracking up. Oh, both Mother Alexi and little baby Axel are doing just fine. <laughs> Axel. That's right. He, he explained it by saying it was because the, uh, the fire guys were there. Oh, okay. And if he complains, we could have called you hoes. So, Axel, it is. <laughs> it all worked out. Hello. Hello. Oh, you are... have giraffes on your tie. What? Oh, yes, I do have giraffes on my tie. And you have foxes on your... That's right. It's an animal animal theme. It's an animal. Jellyfish. Jellyfish. It's blue circles, but, you know... I'm a ghost? I don't know. I don't know what you are. I don't know what you're doing. No idea. (laughs) Alpha Getty was letters. I know. I don't know why... Animals were in zoodles. His giraffe tie is making me want animal crackers. Or zoodles. Or zoodles zoodles with animal crackers as dessert. Mm. Um, the uh, playoffs start tomorrow in the NHL, and there are only two Canadian teams, Maple Leafs, Jets. Leafs begin Thursday in Boston. Winnipeg home tomorrow for Game 1 against Minnesota. Now, the Jets have not won a playoff series since 1987. That was when Dale Howarchuk was their star. But many think this team could get to the Final Four, and the reason is not just because they have a lot of offensive firepower, it's because of goaltender Connor Hellebuck. He should make the Jets very hard to shoot down. Kowski feeds it ahead. Here's Brolin. All alone. You don't win in the playoffs without good goaltending, and Connor Hellebuck has been winning all year long. In fact, he set NHL records for most wins at home by a goalie in one season and most wins by an American goalie in one season. I expect to win every single night, and I expect to, to bring my A-plus game. And It's hard for me to, to see myself failing when I'm giving my A-plus and doing all the work that I'm doing. And, know, it's, it's a hard road. Uh, it's nice that's paying Interestingly enough, Hellebuck was not supposed to be the number one goalie this year. It was supposed to be Steve Mason, but he was dreadful early on. So they made the switch, and Hellebuck has been as reliable as it gets ever since. Fires a shot. Hellebuck made the save. A a real straight line, like our team. He didn't come in and out of the season where he had a rough stretch or, or, you know, he had some strong games, but it wasn't a run of games where he stole games for us. He was just really, really solid all year. 
What a comeback by Roman today against Barcelona. They lost the first game of their two-game series in Champions League to Barca, 4-1. to one. But that one away goal proved to be huge. They're at home now. Jacko scores early to make it 1-0 for Roma in the second game. Danielle De Rossi. Now it's 2-0 in this game. One more goal. And they tie 4-4 on goals, but that away goal will be the difference, and there it is. Costas Manolas, or Manolas if you like, and they move on. Barcelona is out. The all-English matchup. Man City, Liverpool. Man City needs a Roma-like comeback in this series. They get an early one. Gabriel Jesus. Jesus makes it 1 0. But then, disaster. It's a big moment this for Liverpool. Mane can't score. Mohamed Salah can. And it's the away goal for Liverpool in front of And they move on to the next round. Do these guys both have bad breath? Is that why they're having their gloves up? Don't they usually chew gum? No, I know. They do that because they, they always think someone's reading their lips. Like every team has a guy in the stands who's paid to read lips. I'm not so sure of that. But anyway, they're a bit paranoid. Uh, this is a throwaway here. Oh, it's in the dugout. So Justin Smoke gets across the uh, plate. You saw Aaron Sanchez there with the strikeout. He had a no-hitter through seven. Blue Jays up 2-1 in the eighth now. Tawasin Scott Hargrove is still driving towards a higher-profile spot in auto racing, and that's one of the hardest things to do in pro sports because most professional auto racing drivers know that the road to the top is long and can be quite bumpy. What a performance this has been by the Canadian. Absolutely uh, picture-perfect for the 23-year-old. I'm loving it, honestly, yeah. So the last few years have been a bit of a struggle. I'm just not really sure where to go or where the opportunities were. Scott Hargrove's journey to motorsport success has been as windy as the race circuits he's navigated. The Pirelli World Challenge GT Sports Car Class is the seventh race series Scott's driven in. His race car cockpit has become the ultimate pressure cooker, one filled with the burning desire to win, as well as the heavy financial burden that rides shot come alongside every drive in every car in every motorsport series. You need sponsorship, you need funding, and now the last few years has been a bit of a turnaround where I've, I finally got the support, I've got everything I need to make my career go to that next level. But each one of those series rewards the championship with the funding to move to the next level. So all through the whole Scott's open wheel career, it's all about, you know, can he win the championship because uh, we've already discussed the, the difficulties in, in, in finding funding to move on. Hargrove back to the inside. Daniel Murad. Oh, they make contact again. Hargrove to the outside. Fathers Vlander always know best. Their passion He's for sport is often a gene that gets passed down sure to their children. Jim's been racing sports cars for decades. Early on, Scott was along for the ride, beating the pits working on tires or sitting in on dad's victory lap. So it's no surprise Scott's created a life of his own behind the steering wheel. It's in the blood, for sure. Yeah, and when I was, when I was born, I think the first thing I did was watch a Formula One race. <laughs> I think uh, Scott has outperformed anything that I ever, uh, I ever imagined uh, was possible. 
He was on the podium here a couple years ago in Indy Lights. No matter the series or what kind of car, Scott's delivered checkered flags and podium finishes. He's won back-to-back -back races to start the season, and he's driving hard to make it three straight this weekend when the series takes over the streets down at Long Beach. You know, it's one of those races I wanted to be in for a long time, and finally I got the opportunity, so I'm going to make the most of it. Scott Hargrove comes across the line to take the victory in the opening round. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. I wish welcome. I was in the passenger seat. Members of the Abbotsford Police Department have begun training for their biggest fundraising event, the annual Cops for Cancer Ride. But as Tanya Beja reports, they'll be doing it this year without one of their top performers, Constable John Davidson, who lost his life in the line of duty. Okay, have fun. All right. There are four Abbotsford police officers riding with purpose, determined to carry on the legacy of their fallen friend and fellow officer, Constable John Davidson. He believed in doing any amount of embarrassment to raise funds to fight childhood cancers. And when he was killed, both Robert and I made the decision to ride in his honor. Constable Davidson was responding to a report of a possible stolen vehicle last November when he was shot and killed. There's rarely a moment that goes by that he's not in our hearts. An avid cyclist, Davidson rode in last year's Cops for Cancer Tour de Valley and was committed to cycling again this year. Instead, his colleagues will do the 800-kilometer trek, raising money for childhood cancer research and camp good times. He just had a away with kids he was a small man but he had a huge heart i just remember the kids hanging off of john like these kids just looked at him like he was their role model he was their hero the ride is also a way for abbotsford police to thank the community that lifted them up on their darkest days it's hard to put into words what the community has done for us but um i feel like we should be giving this back to them and they've been amazing for us. They're hoping to raise $24,000 as a team by the time the ride kicks off in September. The community can really help out with that. They can donate, they can help fight cancer, and also in doing that, they're letting children know that they're not fighting this alone. Davidson's bicycle will accompany them on the road. His sister, Janie, will join them from Scotland. What better way can we portray him to our community than to ride for him? Tanya Beja, Global News.